Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. Every day when I wake up, I ask myself, what would Lauren Conrad do? Because to be a millennial woman in 2016 is to have grown up in the age of reality TV. I'm Elisa Benson, and you're listening to Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. You know, I love hosting this podcast every week because it's basically the closest I've ever come to starring in my own reality TV show. But I am here with three friends of mine who have come way closer to living the reality TV show dream, all in very different and equally entertaining ways ways. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce our three stars in the room, starting with Aya Kanai, who is my coworker, the ex- executive fashion director at Cosmo in 17, and who spent a season as a judge on Project Runway Junior alongside Kelly Osborne and Christian Siriano this past year. Aya, um, I think you cried more than once on national television. Is that true? <laughs> I did, and I didn't anticipate that that would happen. Um, mainly because I just figured I was there to talk about clothes and I didn't realize that we would get so involved in the lives of these kids and get to know their parents. I mean, the whole thing became a real experience in a way that I thought it was going to be way more straightforward and it ended up being like a actual emotional experience. I'm getting goosebumps as you talk, which I don't know how that bodes for this podcast episode. <laughs> We're all going to be crying We're all going to be crying. Um, also right next to me is my dear friend Emily Bandy who I've known since the pre-YouTube days um, when we would spend hours with an old-school video recorder um, inventing our own talk shows and writing and directing Barbie soap operas. True story. Um, Emily, you appeared... This is You're maybe the most reality TV-ist of all of us. You appeared on an episode of My Cat from Hell. That is true. Is your, is your cat from hell, Emily? Previously, yes, and now all of our problems are solved. All of your problems are solved. So we're going to talk more about that. And then um, finally joining us on the phone, because she had a flight this morning that got canceled, is my coworker and frequent Cosmo podcast guest, Eliza Thompson, Cosmopolitan.com senior writer and one-time Jeopardy contestant. Hi, Eliza. Hi. Hi. Um, Eliza, I feel like I'm so glad this is finally happening, because every time I've brought you onto the podcast, I always like drop the thoughtful detail about you being on Jeopardy and then always kept saying I would bring you back and we would talk about it for real and now we finally are. Yes. Even though um, it sort of left you, it wasn't a great experience in some ways, but we'll talk more about that <laughs> oh, later. I can't wait. <laughs> so um, I, uh, since you're sort of the most famous reality TV star among us. Um, uh, hardly, but okay. But okay. <laughs> but you know, you did, like, the rest of us had our, oh, and I should also say there was one time that I personally was on a reality TV show, but I'm going to wait and talk about that at the very end because it's hilarious but um we gotta have the build up to the that build moment. up exactly i know you all can't wait but um so 
Aya, you were really the only one in this room that actually did a full series, which I think when people think about actually being on a reality TV show, you know, that's what you always imagine. Um, so first to start with, like, what was the time commitment like? I mean, how many episodes was it? It was a full 13. series. 13. So we episodes. did 13 episodes, and the time commitment was about two, um, two and a half months of my um, summer. So... Basically because, and this is all the stuff that you never think about, these are students, they're high school kids, they have a summer break, and they can't shoot beyond that. So they each need to be accompanied by one parental guardian, because that is the law for working with minors. And so one parent and the student would come to New York and live for you know that period of time in in. Um, in provided housing and they would do these challenges at a pace that was like extremely fast because we had a certain amount of time in which it needed to get done. For me as a judge, I would shoot three days a week, two days during the week and one day during the weekend. And as um, Elisa knows, I also have two other jobs at Cosmo and 17. (laughs) So two days of the week, I was fully out of office on set in Long Island City where we shoot. And then, of course, on the weekend days, I was not hanging out with my husband. And so then on the the seventh day of the week, um, I would be catching up on work. So I'd be in the office doing, getting done all the stuff that hadn't been done in my out-of-office days. And I think that's what one thing that is sort of so, I mean, in, in some level, you know that more time goes into this than it shows up on television. But still, you're talking about, like, less than 13 hours of television. And this was really three days a week for two and a half months of your life. But think about it. I mean, all, all all of us that were shooting this are people with jobs like Christian runs a whole business. So, I mean, as you can imagine, when you're watching the show, we all have our phones like tucked behind our butts, basically right. in the crease of the chair so that any time they stop shooting, I'm following up on all my work. It's the unsexy part of being on television is that you can't shirk your other duties. You know, it's it's an addition to what you all already do, not in place of. And what was the experience like of working? I think it's so interesting that you were really working with kids. I mean, I think even watching that as a viewer, you know, Project Runaway Junior, all the students were literally teenagers. What was that experience like? Um, when we first met them, I will say I had spent the previous month in terms of like getting ready to do this television show as someone who has never done television. I was nervous, as you could imagine. So I'm like worried about my hair. Do I need to get my teeth whitened? Do I need <laughs> lash extensions? Apparently the answer was yes to both of those things, which I should maybe not have done. It's like I, my lashes are neither here nor there when you're watching them on TV. But if you like, cried a lot, you know, you want well, to that, sure that Well, that was listen. certainly part of the problem, certainly. And so I I was worried about all these things like, do I need to get my hair straightened? I'm Asian, my hair is already straight. Like, (laughs) what am I thinking about? And then you get on set the first day and as a judge, you are allowed to know nothing about the people. Ooh, I like that. So we sat down in our chairs the first day and they come out for their first um, judging sequence and I was almost crying then because it's just looking at them, I had the sudden realization that like, this is not about me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I was so consumed by my own, like, little petty, like, aesthetic concerns that I forgot that, like, we're sitting in front of 13-year-olds and, you know, between 13 and 17-year-old kids who are really having an experience together with each other, and they truly bonded with each other, and you could see that they already had a relationship with each other and were supporting each other in a way that I think is different from other reality competition shows. Like, they really wanted each other to do well. 
I think that's why I ended up loving the show so much because I was a huge fan of Project Runway Junior. I thought the kids were amazing was because it actually felt genuine. These kids were having this emotional experience together. And as a viewer, it felt that way. So I'm glad to hear it was actually that way. Definitely. And I think that when um, eventually, so we were also meant to never speak to the parents because um, they don't want us to become biased by any right. knowing anything about the lives of the kids. And also not saying this would be the case for those kids who are so insanely talented, but I'm sure there's a little fear with any TV industry of the sort of like crazy stage mom. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I mean, and especially I'll, working at Cosmo in 17, you know, definitely. But at the same time, when you think about young boys and girls who are interested in something creative and a creative pursuit can be fashion or it can be anything if you um, don't live in like a you know cultural or cultural or media epicenter you know you might not have access to other young boys and girls who are interested in the same things as you I mean we were just talking before about Mm -hmm. growing up in a small town in Ohio or versus being in New York City like you just don't have the exposure to museums or art the way that you might Um, if you lived here. And so for all of them, they were really having that first transformative moment where you see what's possible outside of your town. Getting chills. And it was like, and I mean, I, as someone who, you know, have been hardened by the fashion industry for, you know, oh, say 10 to 12 years, like I was so moved. And that's why Kelly Osbourne had to treat me, had to teach me how to um, cry like a drag queen. (laughs) Because that first time that I cried, and you could see it, it's like there's like tears like falling down my face, and like we are wearing like so much makeup and so many lashes, you wouldn't even believe. But it's like, and she's like, no, no, no. She was like, when you cry um, on camera, you have to uh, like lean forward and let the tears like kind of fall into your lap. Oh my god! Because you can't keep your face up because then they run down your face and then you've screwed up the whole situation. (laughs) Yes. You don't want to do that. So you million dollar advice. Um, Emily, this is a good segue into talking about your very emotional experience on My Cat from Hell. (laughs) Um, So I think one thing that's so fun about My Cat from Hell is that plays into a little bit of the fantasy of anyone who's ever watched one of those sort of one-off shows. You're like, that could be me. Like, I also have a terrible cat. So talk to us about how you (laughs) got cast in it and what the experience is like. Um, Basically, we were in a situation where we had two cats that hated each other. My fiance at the time, now husband, and I lived together. And it was like, I mean, you know, it was an untenable situation. They fought all the time. It was horrible. And I'm an insane animal lover, so I absolutely refused to get rid of either cat. I was going to make it work in my one-bedroom apartment no matter what. Um, you you and Mike were basically sleeping in separate bedrooms. More or less. each of you had to be with one cat. More or less, yeah. yeah. It was, looking back on it is so psychotic, but at the time it seemed like the right solution. The right choice for the cats. <laughs> were the cats related? They were not related, oh. and we had previously had another cat who passed away and sort of got this as a new friend and it was just bad. Um, So we saw that they were casting. I had watched the show recreationally to try to pick up tips. Um... (laughs) And uh, they had only ever filmed in L.A. And then I saw this casting announcement on Twitter or something that was like, oh, for the first time ever in New York. And I said to Mike, like, FYI, I'm applying for this. It's happening. And we really had a truly insane situation. So I filled out an application. I sent it in. And within 24 hours, their casting director had called me like, this sounds nuts. Get us some video. So then we took some video and there's some back and forth. And eventually they just decided we had a crazy enough situation to warrant the show. So that's how we ended up um, getting on and similarly even though it was only 
you know, a one-off episode, I could not believe how much filming was done. They were at our apartment for like 12 to 15 hours a day to each do, time. To do like, in my cat from hell 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Because we right. split a show with another, uh, another story. So it was totally nuts. It was, yeah, 13 to 15 hours. But we loved the crew. We ended up really liking them. And I feel like the biggest surprise for me was how actually real a lot of it was. I think in my head I imagined they were going to orchestrate these crazy situations and put us in these positions that made us look nuts. And really they just kind of let things happen and filmed it. And it turned <laughs> out your cats really are nuts They're enough nuts. that nothing had to be faked. Absolutely. Um, the whole joke with like Emily and me and all of our friends for years is that they kept playing this clip of Emily <laughs> during the broadcast where the cats literally like were fighting to the death and they kept playing this clip of Emily saying all murder all the time <laughs> there are like gifts of it out there now thanks to my husband um, it's so but dramatic. If, if it's a small New York apartment unless you live in a big New York apartment I do not so if it's a if it's a small New York one bedroom yeah. right two humans yes two cats yes so how did the crew fit in the ap- apartment without being seen it on was camera. Crazy. It, it must have, they must have been like attached to walls was, and up in corners. They actually knocked a hole in one of our walls with like one of the boom mics and they went to Home Depot and bought the stuff to fix it for us wow. and everything. So it was very much a tight squeeze. We have a little tiny balcony that they actually ended up setting all the monitors and everything up out on the balcony so that there was room for all of the equipment. Um, that was the only way to make it work. So it was a tight squeeze. The other sort of New York City detail of the experience is that when they broadcast, you know, when they the episode aired it was like live in New York City like Emily and Mike in Times Square like you guys do not live in Times no. Square but like all the b-roll yeah. was just like the lights of I like- feel like that was the one thing that was actually sort of fake about the whole thing everything that happened was real we feel like we got a good edit you know like I was kind of afraid oh they're gonna make me look like this total psycho I don't feel like I psycho looked like that which I mean I am to a degree but I don't think I'm like an actually insane person um, I mean I was on the show so who knows uh, but yeah all the b-roll where it was like, and he's walking into their building, and it was a building that totally was not our building, or yeah, showing B-roll of neighborhoods that looked really great on In very film. New York City. Exactly, yeah. but maybe not so realistic. So not stuff that really matters. It was all the little things like that that were kind of faked for the, the TV. TV. Yeah. So I know that, Emily, the one question everybody always asks you is basically, did it fix the cat? So I want to come back to that. Yeah. But first, because I know I'm like building in, you know, more suspense into this <laughs> podcast, but um, Eliza, I want to jump to you on the phone. You know that I'm obsessed with making you tell about your experience of being on Jeopardy. And I think one thing is that as much as we all think that maybe in our hearts we could be Lauren Conrad, I think most of us in our hearts feel like we could never, ever, ever be on Jeopardy because <laughs> those people are so insanely smart. So talk about the process. I know you grew up loving the show and talk about how you went from being a huge fan of it to actually being on an episode. Um, well, I did watch it a lot growing up, and then my boyfriend and I used to watch it a lot um, in our apartment, and then we, like, signed up for a Jeopardy email list, which is one of the nerdiest things I've ever said. (laughs) Um, But they tell you when they're having auditions, um, and what they do is you have to do a written test, which is on the internet, and... That's like like any Yahoo can take it. Yeah, anyone can take it. Um, I can't remember how many questions. I think it's 50 questions. And it's just like general general trivia that you would see on Jeopardy. And were you like, oh, this is a piece of cake. I could do this in my sleep. 
Um, I did think it was relatively easy, but only because a lot of it is like the kind of stuff you see on Jeopardy. Like they ask the same questions over and over again, you know, like they ask about the same books and the same right. historical figures. Um, but I did get really competitive with Sam, my boyfriend, because he took it at the same time. And then we were like trying to figure out how many each of us missed. And I was like pretty sure that I missed less than he did. Of course. Um, <laughs> so then if you do well on the test, they call you, or they send you an email and they're like, can you come for an in-person audition? So I did that. Uh, it was in Philadelphia. I had to drive down. And then after that, or at the in-person audition, you have to take another test. Um, also written with the same kind of questions. Then they make you do like a mock Jeopardy that they claim doesn't count as far as answers. They just want to see if you know how to use the buzzer and that you're not like a total freak. <laughs> By the way, though, this is like harder than getting a job. Yeah. It's a lot of steps. Yeah, a it lot of really steps. It's really hard. And they sometimes it's hard to push a buzzer. <laughs> well, they tell you to practice. They give you um, a Jeopardy wow. quick pen. And you're supposed to take it home and pretend, use it as a pretend buzzer while you watch the show, hmm. um, which I totally did. Um, yeah, and then after the audition, you just basically wait, and they keep you, I think they keep you in the audition pool for like 18 months, and they just call you if they want you to come. And they don't tell you if you pass or anything like that. So you're just like waiting. And I, you got a call basically saying you know, we want you to be on the show, like, next week, right? It happened pretty fast? Um, I want to say it was, like, six weeks in advance. Oh, okay. Um, but I really lucked out because they filmed it in Los Angeles, and the week that they wanted me to come, I already had a trip planned to Los Angeles. It's fate. So, it was fate. <laughs> yeah, so all I had to do was change my flight. Otherwise, it could have been really bad to have to, because they, they don't pay for you to fly out there unless you're like a returning champion who has to come back a lot. Um, so I ended up only having to spend like $50 to fly out there. Well, I guess I had already spent the money, but you see what I'm saying. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it costs like a bunch of money to fly last minute. And um, I think that's actually, you know, like growing up in Ohio and dreaming of being on the hills or whatever, I think there is a sort of a misconception around the payment of like reality TV. Like I think there's a feeling when you don't know anything about it that like as soon as you're on television, you've made it. But I do think it's interesting for something like a Jeopardy. I mean, they're not like bringing you out there. Like even after all the work you did to qualify, you know, you still are like paying your own way just to appear on the show, which I think is kind of interesting. But, um, you know... Eliza, I know that both Aya and Emily just said that they couldn't believe how much footage was filmed just to get these very short episodes, but I think you almost had the the opposite experience in that the pace of the filming was so insanely fast. Is that right? Yeah, Jeopardy, basically the length of the episode you see on TV is how long they're filming, and they, I think they take five shows in a day, maybe, something like that. And, um, and you were sitting there basically watching them, nervously watching them film shows before you waiting for your chance to go on, right? Yeah, I only, I think they taped one before I went up there. Um, I feel like just, so nervous just thinking about I this. Agree. It was, it was horrible. It was like one of the most like anxiety inducing experiences of my life. Like it was so <laughs> terrible to sit there and watch the other people compete. And um, um, I also remember this funny detail of you saying that it was freezing in the studio. And so you just like at the last minute had to borrow just like a dumpy sweater from your mom, <laughs> like a mom's sweater for your television debut. 
Yeah, well, I like freaked out about what to wear because they said you're on TV, you can't wear like stripes right. or really crazy advice. colors. So I basically had to wear this boring black dress, but then it was really cold. So I had to borrow a sweater from my mom. And then people <laughs> made fun of me on Twitter, like as the show was airing. Oh. Um, but then a couple people like read something I wrote on Cosmo later and they were like, oh my God, she was cold. I feel so bad. I made fun of her. <laughs> <laughs> They're like that Eliza in the mom sweater. <laughs> I feel like, like it was literally a mom sweater. <laughs> I feel like even before I was ever on a reality show, I used to have these dreams that like I would be on something and people online would be like ripping me apart. Right. It's like these weird anxiety dreams. So I just had like a pang of anxiety when you said that. Like, oh, God. Thinking about it. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment and more. Play it at play.it. That was another thing that I wanted to ask you guys about, of course, is like everybody these days is watching TV, you know, at the same time that they're on Twitter and everything else. And especially something like Project Runway Junior, where they're encouraging people to really tweet along. Um, Did you guys go down that rabbit hole of reading what people were saying about you? And um, what was that experience like? Um, I would say from a Project Runway Junior point of view that the show itself has like a feel good aspect to it. Um, So most of the Twitter comments weren't that scathing. I mean, like, you're really going to say something mean about a 14-year-old? Right. Like, I but mean, you know the internet. I, guess, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't see that much of it, and I would always look at the hashtag while the show was going because they wanted us to do it, and you know, they wanted us to continue to comment. I mean, people definitely talked about favorites, and that's what the show is for. So, I mean, I feel like that's kind of not in the realm of, like, internet haterism right um but i would say it's almost like um it's so interesting to hear you reference like the hills and lauren and and that generation of reality television because naturally it's like that was like before everything was reality tv right so like the locos of the world like became like huge celebrities like to the point that she is still famous now and has a line of like apple pie pans you know what I mean (laughs) like and more power to her for doing all of that we love her but it's kind of like now because television is almost mostly reality television like there is so many people like so many people like all of us who have either done it one time or done it a few times that it's almost like I think it's like wouldn't you say it's like a little bit more diffuse the commentary because right. you can't comment on all of it right? right. and each person it's like I- I'm on a reality television show I'm not famous you know what I mean it's kind of like there's too many reality TV shows for everyone on them to be famous for now. everyone right. to be star. <laughs> yeah. um, Emily I did notice I was trying to find the, a YouTube clip of you saying all murder all the time and I couldn't find one unfortunately but I did find one video that was a little trailer for your episode and there was a comment on it that was like that girl's kind of cute <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Your I, fan. My, yeah, my adoring fan, singular. Um, yeah, I think for me, I had this weird moment. So, you know, obviously it's a big deal for us. It's like that we've never aspired to be on TV or anything like that. We were really put in a circumstance that we genuinely wanted help. We weren't trying to become like reality stars. We just like wanted someone to fix our situation. So we had a viewing party with family and you guys all came over to my apartment. We had a viewing party. And basically in the 
20 to 35 seconds as it was leading up to the show airing, I started to have like a panic attack <laughs> because we'd never seen the episode before it aired. I had no idea how I was going to be portrayed. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the show. A lot of the people are nutso bananas crazy. But all I could think was maybe they're not. Maybe they're all just regular people like me and somehow they put all these 15 plus hours over two weeks of footage. And so I really like my heart went my heart rate went up and I kind of covered my face with a pillow like what am I doing? <laughs> but I definitely went down the rabbit hole of social media too where uh, I mean to be honest most people were just talking about my cats. Right. Um like it wasn't about me, but there were a few people that were like the animals aren't the problem, it's like the stupid people <laughs> who are ruining their like you need to read your animals signals and I'm like listen people, I am like the biggest animal lover ever. Don't you dare. But I didn't engage with any of them. I just let it go. <laughs> you ignore you ignore the haters. <laughs> the haters. Um and Aya, did you watch all the episodes in real time when they aired? Um well the the producers wanted us to watch them so we could be engaging on Twitter right. with the people who were commenting. So for the most part I did watch and like you, I wasn't able to see anything before it aired. Um so I you know, there were a couple episodes, like for example, the Seventeen Challenge or whatever, where I did get a screener beforehand because I had to like make specific comments on it because it was like the Seventeen episode. But at the same time, it's like I I wasn't that worried about being portrayed um, in a negative light after I saw the first one. I, beforehand, I was like, they're gonna make me look like the you're the you know, mean the, judge, the, you're the, the mean Simon one, right. Right. <laughs> You know, the old mean one. And um, and then by the end of it, I was like, I know. I knew what role I had played in the room, and so I knew that they were going to portray me that way, so I wasn't that afraid of it. And I think that, you know, like all um, reality television, whether it's competition or not, it's like everything is produced for exactly the amount that it needs to cost, and so, like, there isn't that much extra it's like they need to shoot things from multiple angles and that's why you know the the day takes that long but you know when you're watching the judging sequence of project runway junior that's just the conversation we are having right it's a little bit longer in real life because we really get into it on certain people but it's just us talking about the thing there's no prep there's no there's no like uh, frills to the whole thing. I really love that. I feel like that's what I walked away from feeling was like, oh, this is actually more real than I thought. And right. it sounds like that was kind of the same experience you had. Definitely. I have uh, one thing that I kind of wondered about was I think it would be difficult. Or did you find it difficult to sort of separate your professional opinion or like your honest critique of a piece from the fact that you're talking to kids? Mm. Not really, because they could really handle it. They were so good. They could totally handle it. That's what I was afraid of before I did it. And then once I did it, and to see the way that they would receive criticism, as long as it's like, as long as criticism to whomever you're giving it to is given in a way that is like presented with the utmost of respect and um, with the true intent to help someone, I don't think it can really come off that badly. Plus, they... They're there because they want it. Right. You know, they they want to know how to per, to perform better so that they can move on to the next round. So they don't want, um, you know. I, and I think that we did have really lively conversations. I would say we agreed amongst the uh, we disagreed more amongst the judges. You know, we would we would definitely have um, 
basically after we were done with our deliberation, we would have to like have an off-camera conversation where we would really decide like, okay, who's going home? Right. Like where, and it, it would, you know, we couldn't take that long about it because the kids were standing backstage. We had to like really decide. And those would be moments where we would be like in a deadlock. Right. Like, you know I, I mean? want this person. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were only four judging human beings. So we could always end up with two against two. Right. And so, and when that did happen, then we'd have to like, you know, kind of like get in a tiff about it because nobody had more judging power than another right. person. Right. You need that tiebreaker. Right. Right. <laughs> I always wonder with watching the show, I feel like one plot line that is recurring in basically every season and every spinoff is the idea of like, there's not enough time. But it's like, there's always enough time. <laughs> no one ever walks down the runway naked. Is there anything like, do they really sort of like boot you out at a certain, you know, like how much pressure is there really? Because they're not going to have anyone walk, you know, people have to finish their garments. What am I trying to say here? People have to finish their clothes. <laughs> I mean, I hear you, but also I feel like in person there were definitely some looks that you were like, we see the hot glue. Right. We You're see... like, you needed another hour. <laughs> yeah, where, where it is like janky in a serious way. But, um, but yes, I mean, they have to create that kind of suspense and they have to create the, that kind of excitement. And I will say... As a viewer of the show um, that I was on, like I was just as fascinated as any person new to it because every every minute that happens up until the judging sequence, I know nothing about. Oh, that's mm. true. How like, interesting! Everything that happens in the workroom, we're not allowed to know about. All the background of the kids, like there was one contestant who was a Cambodian orphan with gay dads. Like, wow! I didn't know that until I watched the show. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, there were there were so kids who have all different kinds of backgrounds like one kid who's like from the you know cornfields of Kentucky and milks cows in the morning or whatever he does you know like all these things that as a viewer it's kind of almost seems like we know that but we don't they're just people standing on a stage I think that people probably assume like you guys are told as judges that certain contestants need to move all the way through or like these people are good on television but it doesn't really sound like that was the case at all that wasn't the case I mean they you know we would have conversations about who we were ready to let go of and they would always say it's you guys' decisions sometimes we would almost beg them to help us <laughs> right. when like, we were when us, we please. were like deadlocked in two against two we'd be like please like someone give us a sign of what we should do because especially when it got down to the last few you love all of them so good. you don't want to let them go everyone could win like at that point you get down to like four, five, you know, even six kids, it's like all of them could win. And, you know, they all have something to offer that is like truly special. And so we would sometimes be looking to the producers to be like, help us. And they'll be like, no, it, everyone has a time where they need to go until we're done. It's just the way it is. They were cruel. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, so one thing I want to talk about really quickly is um, in addition to my journey to be a famous reality TV star, which isn't going so well, one other thing I've talked a lot about in the podcast is like my journey to be less lazy and be more healthy and in shape. So I want to talk to you guys quickly about Organifi, which basically if you're a New York City person like me and you never have time to cook or eat healthy and basically it's a struggle to just leave, live your daily life, um, it is a line of juices that were are organic vegan gluten-free dairy-free soy-free and so easy to make in your apartment even a dummy like me can do it um you don't need a juicer you don't need to blend anything it's super easy to mix up and the whole idea is that it boosts energy 
eases your stress, helps you lose belly fat, um, and it promises to be the best tasting greens on the market. So you guys can get 20% off at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com using coupon code COSMO. So check it out. Get 20% off. Let me know what you think. Tweet at me. <laughs> Live your healthiest life and let me know how it's going and pass along your tips to me too. So going back for a second to reality TV, Emily, I promised that I was going to let you talk to viewers about whether or not my cat from hell actually fixed Olive and Pepper, your two cats. Yeah, you know, it actually did. I am 100% drinking the Kool-Aid. Um Jackson Galaxy is the guy's name who's like the cat whisperer and he's completely the real deal we uh, have you have three sessions with him and we came out of it and we actually live a completely normal life we're in the same apartment <laughs> door is open now we also have a baby in addition to, to the two cats layer and the two adult humans and yeah everything's been completely great they um basically just saw a bunch of things that we didn't see like oh one of our cats really likes being up high and one really likes being on the ground so if you build levels they both have their own territories and then they don't have to compete for territory anymore things that i would never even think about and that that was all it took that's amazing put up some cat trees build some shelves and i'm not kidding like i was texting with my husband earlier they're both just like sleeping next to each other on the couch right now they're not friends they're not going to like bathe each other but we are we are good so we got what we wanted out of our reality show experience which was a fixed life a fixed life <laughs> and you guys at one point without murder without, without murder. murder no murder <laughs> any of the time um you guys basically didn't you go back on an episode that was like my cat from hell all stars um do you want to know the name of it cuz it's so much better than you could ever imagine yes where are they meow <laughs> is the name of the special <laughs> and uh yeah so they had like six or seven uh people that fan th- favorites fan favorites that people wanted an update on how they were doing now so they came back it was probably like within a year of when they had been there the first time and it was a much smaller production you know just sent one camera guy out and we sort of chatted with him for the afternoon and they got footage of the cats getting along and yeah so that exists somewhere too we're <laughs> gonna google that later um, and so eliza i know one thing you know after your whirlwind experience on jeopardy you basically said after your episode that it was sort of in some ways, you just couldn't even watch the show anymore. How are you feeling about it now? It's been almost, what, a year since you competed? Um, yeah, almost exactly a year. Um, I I don't watch it regular, regularly anymore, um, but that's partly because I live alone now because my boyfriend went to law school, um, and it's just not that fun to watch by yourself, at least not for me, because <laughs> right. I just feel like a crazy person shouting at the TV. Right. Do you still have your clicker pen? I do. I it's at my apartment. I use it to sign important checks and stuff. <laughs> um, but I actually I do watch it when I visit my family because my dad and my grandpa really like to watch. Um, and it's like the the feeling of sadness has gone away, and I like the show again. But I probably won't go back to watching it every day. And can you compete on it again if you, in some day, like in twenty years, decide to get your revenge? <laughs> Um, so I don't, I don't think you're allowed, I think the way they phrase it is you're not allowed to compete on an Alex Trebek hosted Jeopardy show. Oh, interesting. So I think I'm, like, maybe you're allowed if Alex Trebek ever stops hosting, but, like, he's probably going to outlive us all, so. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, so any, never. maybe in like 20 years, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Um, and Eliza, what was the most surprising part of the entire experience for you? Um, I guess just how fast it went. I, it really felt like it was over in 20 minutes and it kind of was. Um, because they don't really like reshoot anything unless there's a problem with the game board. Um, so that was really surprising. And then also just meeting Alex Trebek. I didn't, I didn't know what he was going to be like, and you're not allowed to talk to him before the show because they're afraid of like cheating. So whenever, whenever you watch and you see, you know, after the first commercial break, he goes and talks to everyone about their little stories. That's the first time everyone gets to meet him. Um, and he was just like a lot more chill than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't on in the commercial breaks. He, you know, he just like doesn't, I mean, he cares, but also he's been doing this for like, what, 30 years? 1,000 so years. Yeah. He's really relaxed. And yeah. <laughs> that is, that is in some ways anticlimactic. <laughs> um, Aya, what about for you? What was the most surprising part of your experience judging Project Run- Runway Junior? I was um, surprised about how real it is. I know I'm reiterating the same thing that everyone has said, but um, I was surprised by how truly real it is and how for myself as uh, as a person who had never done a TV show and now has done a full season, like I was surprised by how... Um, truly real my own reactions to it were like because the situation was so exactly what you see you can't help but (laughs) react to it in the way that you would authentically react to any life event right and so um you know naturally there is a heightened element because you're sitting under hot lights for the whole day and you know you're 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 fully aware that you're in a performance setting but um Anytime, I mean, maybe it's because of the nature of my job, but anytime someone asks for my opinion on something, I am compelled to give my actual opinion. And so, especially when it's something fashion related, which is what I do for a job, it's like I couldn't help but just say exactly what I thought. And um, and then I was also really moved by the kids themselves. And I think that that's what the success of um, certain kinds of of reality shows that have a competitive element to it and that's why kids shows are trending so much right now is because it's the kind of television that families like to watch together because there's nothing that's going to offend anyone mm-hmm. and um, it's the kind of thing that parents and kids can watch and kind of be equally interested in so there's no surprise that that every single big reality franchise is doing a kids spin-off I'm surprised that there is no how you like me, meow. <laughs> Junior. Junior. <laughs> For baby cats. I think, you know. Kitten. Kitten yeah. meow. Kitten meow. I think um, it is interesting with the, that's a really good point about it, attracting sort of a family-friendly viewer and being heartwarming instead of maybe the origins of reality TV shows as being bitchy and cutthroat. But I also think these kids are so insanely talented. It's like, how are you up the ante even more? Yeah. Like, the kids are so good. There's no element of like disaster with it it's actually like oh you guys are such superstars you don't need anything else because their talent i I felt like half the time they were better than some of the contestants on regular that's what a lot of people said yeah believe it 
we couldn't believe it either. And also, I think that after the first episode, when we realized, or at least after the first couple episodes, where when we realized that the youngest girl was like going to be she a major player, I was like, I cannot believe that this girl who learned how to sew on YouTube videos like is this creative i mean she's got like she's also from ohio she's got like a little like workshop in her basement like that is who she is she's like 13 you know and she's like building like a cage inside of a cape and like doing all this stuff that i was like legitimately as a fashion editor who's worked in this business i have never seen anything like that before you know what i mean and so what i hope for anyone who does a reality TV show who is like a young person is that they have they walk away with the feeling that like their creativity no matter how they express it is expanded you know what I mean because all of them are always like they're often following up with me afterwards being like oh well should I go to this college or that college should I do this or should I do that and it's like being a fashion designer shouldn't be the end game of this it should be like learning how to use your creativity and learning how to grow that because when you're 13 like that's more important than like getting a job as a fashion designer like you know in the normal project runway those people want to have a career in this field i think that the goal of this show should be something a little bit slightly different because i mean who needs to be a pre-professional 13 year old fashion designer it's not necessary right well, I think it's I, that's a really good point, and you have such a great perspective on it. And I think you know these kids look, and of course, I you have an amazing job. But it's like these kids look at you, and you're like, you're the dream job, or like Christian Siriano, like that's the dream job. And I feel mm-hmm. like you guys are looking at them, being like, that is just like the you guys have like these big, huge lives because you're starting now, and you have all this insane absolutely for sure creativity. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and it's so, too bad we didn't have someone who could like bring the spice because I'm trying to like I'm I can only bring like the love of these kids but right. it's like you know it's we need like, the haters we need, yeah. we need someone who's like been on the Bachelor or something yeah you know? we need Part literally two. yeah or like literally Part Lauren two. Conrad who I feel like is like has said so many times in interviews it was all fake um, and oh Emily <laughs> and Emily I don't think I asked you but to close what surprised you most about your experience on my cat from hell oh man I I actually ended up really loving the crew. Uh, we spent so much time with them over the course of several months that I actually kind of missed them. I was hugging everyone goodbye when they left. So I was really surprised that, I mean, these are just real people doing their jobs and they were all really, really chill, really fun people. So I was surprised that I kind of formed a relationship with them and sort of missed everybody when it was all over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, in closing, um, will you guys shout out the best place for people to tweet at you or follow you if they, um, you know, want to ask you more about your respective reality TV experiences? Eliza, do you want to start? Sure. Um, my Twitter handle is Thompson Plaid, T H O M P S O N, and Plaid like the fabric. Aya, you can follow me on Instagram at A Y A T K A N A I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell me. I know, sorry. I don't know why I awkwardly <laughs> looked at you. My oh, Twitter my. handle is Banchovi. It's B A N C H O V I E. And as always, I am at Elisa Benson on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. Please rate it, share it, do all the other things you do with the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Bye.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.